The first reading is from the Gospel of Luke, and you can find it on page 1051 in the Church Bible. It's Luke 17, beginning with verse 11. And it's about Jesus healing 10 men with leprosy, not 50, as Helena talked about. So Luke 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Master Jesus, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The second reading is also from Luke, chapter 22, beginning at verse 14, on page 1057 of the Church Bibles. <clears throat> when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, and uh, let me add my welcome to guys. Um, as he said, I was on the team here for three years. Um, and I've just done my first year of training for ordination. And 
Uh, it's been a great year, but I've missed being with you at St. Michael's, so it's great to be back. We've just begun a sermon series on godly characteristics, godly traits, using Jerry Bridges' book. Last week we heard about gentleness, and I found that really helpful and encouraging, worth listening to online if you weren't there for it. This week we're looking at thankfulness. Are you a thankful person? I wonder if you were to give yourself a score out of 10. 10 being the most thankful it's possible to be. How would you rate yourself? Give yourself a quick score. If you are thankful, what does that look like for you in your life, day to day? Or what would you like thankfulness to look like in your life? The topics of this sermon series are great, and they're of universal interest. The world has plenty to say about things like gentleness and thankfulness. And it's interesting to hear what culture has to say. But ultimately, it's as we come to the Bible and hear what God's saying to us, that these traits go from being good to being godly. So what does the world say about thankfulness? There's no shortage of positive messages I got in touch with a health and wellness specialist I met a couple of years ago to ask what he thought about thankfulness. He said that he incorporates gratitude into the vast majority of his social media posts. He said it's crucial to our happiness, our well-being and peace of mind. He's absolutely right. A Google image search for thankfulness gives you images that say things like, gratitude wakes wakes us up to the goodness and beauty in life, but we have to choose it. One blog I saw by The Honest Apothecary was entitled Thankfulness, a Good Drug. He began by quoting William Ward, who once said, Feeling gratitude and not not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it. He went on to say, Thankfulness is a good drug with virtually no hazardous effects, rather with the power to heal us all. There are statements that help us to develop a positive attitude, like, today I am thankful. Uh, Images declaring, every day is a gift we've been given from God. And the soundbite, it's not happiness that brings us gratitude, but gratitude that brings us happiness. There's a lot of good and truth in those statements, and an attitude of gratitude is a fantastic thing to cultivate. One reason thankfulness is so good for us is that it draws our wandering eyes back from the glitzy cars, the bigger houses, the longer, more regular and more exotic holidays, back to the good things that we have right now, away from the infinite things we don't have to what we have been given to enjoy right now. But the million-dollar question is, to whom do we owe our thanks We might be grateful to those friends who've played a part in our journey or to the bus driver who's safely driven us across town. We might say thank you as we hop off the bus. Or we might write our friends a note and say, hey, I really appreciated the way you've been a friend to me these last few months. But who do we thank for those friends who journey with us? Who do we thank for all those jobs, uh, all those whose jobs make our lives better and easier? Who do we thank for our health, our finances, our salvation? 
Our passage this morning shows us that we were to give our thanks to Jesus. We see that Jesus, as we return to give him thanks, makes us well in the fullest sense, the sense that we're all longing for as we pursue wellness. And we're going to explore that together this morning. Jesus, as we return to give him thanks, makes us well in the fullest sense. Our story begins in Luke 17, verse 11. You might find it helpful to have that open as we go through it. Verse 11, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Luke tells us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is a journey that began in chapter 9, where we're told in verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Then we're told in chapter 13, verse 22, then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? That question frames the next few chapters as Jesus journeys towards Jerusalem. Are only a few going to be saved? Who will be saved? So Jesus is on that journey, and here he is now, traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. What do you think of when we think of borders? Perhaps you think of the joy of crossing into Wales or to Scotland to go to the Pembrokeshire coast or the the highlands and islands. But for many, borders are barriers, places of hostility and exclusion. Think of Trump's wall all who'd love to cross over from Mexico into the States. Or just the queues uh, of border crossings, border control. Uh, It was brought home to me last year when I went out to Camp Monte with Yelena and uh, going from Croatia um, across the border. We had to queue uh, in a number of cars, just one little patrol sort of going through one car at a time. Um, And all of a sudden I was like, oh man, these are really annoying. Um, Yeah, so borders separate. They define and they separate. And the border that Jesus was walking between Samaria and Galilee wasn't just one that separated two people groups. It was more than that. The border was symbolic of the wall between God's people and those outside. Those who were going to be saved and those who weren't. Remember that Jews hated Samaritans. And perhaps that's why, facing the rejection of the Samaritan village in Luke 9, James and John are quick to offer their services. The sons of thunder. Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That's why the parable of the good Samaritan is so shocking. Because it's the enemy, the Samaritan, rather than the priest, a Jew, or the Levite, a Jew, who fulfills the law and loves this wounded man. It goes back 700 years to the exile of the 12 tribes of Israel. The northern kingdom was exiled first, and those 10 tribes intermarried with the imported people, the foreigners, to create an impure race that the other two tribes despised. And our story this morning is one of borders. Verse 12, as he was going into a village... Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Notice these ten men meet Jesus 
as he's going into the village. As lepers, they're unclean, they're outcast. But they probably live near enough to the village that they're able to receive the pity of family and friends and those who are passing by. They keep their distance, they keep apart from Jesus and cry out to him for pity. Perhaps they'd heard something of this traveling rabbi. There's no indication they're expecting a miracle. Like a beggar on the street, they'll receive whatever he chooses to give them. And when he saw them, verse 14, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. He doesn't pronounce healing, rather he gives them an instruction. And these lepers would have been well aware of the laws regarding their condition, found in Leviticus 13 and 14. They knew that the priests were the only ones who could pronounce them clean and welcome them back into community life. The priests were the ones who could declare them clean and set them free to return to their homes and families. And whilst that was the dream for the priests to declare them clean, they'd also have known that there were only two people who'd ever been healed from leprosy. Miriam, in Numbers 12, who was afflicted with leprosy for seven days, and Naaman the Syrian, who in 2 Kings 5 is healed through the instruction of Elisha the prophet. Leprosy was terminal, and these ten had no way out. Perhaps they'd fantasized about being healed, being pronounced clean again. Or maybe they'd given up hope and resigned themselves to a life of misery. But then Jesus instructed them to go and show themselves to the priests. There's an anticipation, uh, an, an implication of healing. They haven't been healed yet as they stand there. But why else would he tell them to go? So they give it a shot. They head for the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. It's as they're going, as they respond to Jesus in faith. Then they're healed. All ten of them. Amazing. How they must have praised God and shouted for joy. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is where it becomes fascinating. Ten are healed. One returns to praise God. Ten are cleansed. One is made well. The ten realize they've been healed. They're heading to the priest's. And one of them decides to turn around and go back to Jesus. He ignores what the others are doing and decides for himself to return. We're told he comes back praising God in a loud voice. Perhaps the other nine were praising God in an equally loud voice. But what marks this man out is that he came back. He throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanks him. And he's a Samaritan, a foreigner, a despised one, an enemy. All separation is gone. He no longer holds himself at a distance and cries out. He falls at his feet. The Samaritan at the foot of this Jew. The barrier, the border gone. 
Where are the others, Jesus asks. Where are the Jews? Presumably this group of ten living in the border region were a mixed group. Could it be that in that group of ten, only this one foreigner has the eyes to see who Jesus truly is? Not one Jew returns. The others are perhaps preoccupied with their physical healing, going to the priest, being declared clean, celebrating all the good things that means for them, getting the show back on the road. As a result of Jesus' healing, these men, the other ten, are able again to cross the border from their little uh, leper colony into the village to join in with the whole of life and society, religious life, to be back with their loved ones. Praise God. But they ought to have thanked Jesus. There's a risk, isn't there, that we're like those nine, that we're anxious to receive but careless to thank Do you remember when you were a child having to write those thank you letters at Christmas and birthdays? I used to find it the hardest thing to sit down in the fun, the festivities, having opened all these presents, to sit down and write a letter to the kind aunt and uncle who'd given me the wonderful gifts. I was so quick, so happy to receive, but so slow and careless to thank And in Jesus' eyes, the vague generalities of thankfulness, perhaps the other nine as they carry on in loud voice to the priests, that general thankfulness doesn't cut it. The men had to return to Jesus and thank him. Jesus conflates the man's actions. He, um, we're told of the Samaritan, that he came back praising God in a loud voice. So his eyes directed to heaven, presumably, praising God in a loud voice. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet, who stood there in front of him on the ground. He thanks him. He's praising God and he's falling before, thanking Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 18, Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus loves that the man has returned to praise God because he's returned to fall at his feet. In falling in thanks at Jesus' feet, this man is acknowledging who Jesus is his authority, his power, his compassion. This man sees his healing as a sign of the coming of God's kingdom and sees that Jesus is its king. And as a result, he's not just healed physically, he's not just healed of his skin disease, he's made well in the fullest sense. He's healed of the heart disease, of the sin that afflicts us all. Will only a few be saved? Perhaps the answer this passage offers is yes. Only a few. One in ten. The one whose eyes are open to who Jesus is. The one who thanks him for the healing that Jesus offers. Jesus, as we return to give him thanks, makes us well in the fullest sense. True thankfulness finds itself expressed to the one who made us and sustains us and from whom every good gift comes. Like those lepers, we find ourselves isolated from the ones that we love and ultimately from God by the self-destroying nature of our sin. 
if we know and love Jesus this morning, if we've thanked him for his work in our lives, then like that one leper, we've been made well, fully well. As the lepers were fully cleansed of their disease, so we've been fully cleansed of our sin. We've been reconciled, not just to those around us, but reconciled to God. We've been set free to come right up to Jesus and fall at his feet in wholehearted thanks and praise. We've been released to live our lives with him and to his glory. If you don't yet know Jesus, or you're not yet sure if you do, take this opportunity, like those ten lepers, to cry out to him for pity, for whatever he'll give you as he passes by. What have you got to lose? Those ten lepers didn't know exactly who Jesus was, but that didn't stop them crying out. And as a result, one of them had his eyes opened. Call out to him this morning. And when he has pity, return to give him thanks. Maybe that's your story. Perhaps you've recently become aware of God's work in your life and you've connected that to your prayer, to your cry to Jesus for pity. This morning, praise God and return to Jesus. Come back to him and give him the thanks. There's nothing better, nothing more satisfying, nothing more freeing than being made fully well by Jesus, fully alive. What might being thankful look like? How can we cultivate thankful hearts? Because while this story is one of uh, an isolated thanksgiving from this one leper, presumably he goes on to live a life of thankfulness. He doesn't forget about Jesus, but lives his life thankful for all that Jesus has done. And the New Testament is full of um, be, us being told to be always giving thanks. Um, Paul, in his letters, is often giving thanks for those he's writing to and telling us, likewise, to give thanks. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, says this. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Maybe you do this already, but it's been a new, uh, new idea, a new challenge for me. Um, why not try and spend a couple of minutes each morning praising God for his love, which is assured to us for the day ahead and all that it's going to contain that we know we can expect and, and we don't know we can't expect. Praise him for his love in the morning and then in the evening come back and thank him for his faithfulness, all the ways that he's specifically shown his love and his care through the day. That looks like looking at our routines and where there's a few minutes that we can turn our attention to God and just give him thanks, whether that's doing our teeth or for me, it's been uh, when I get on a foam roller before I uh, go on the rowing machine. And there's a few minutes of peace and quiet first thing in the morning to intentionally just say thank you to God for all that he's done and for his love. Jerry Bridges in his book suggests writing a list of the big things that we're thankful for, not just uh, the kind of daily, day, day-to-day things. Um, but the big things, the kind of constant things, his kindness and grace, God's kindness. Uh, things like our health, our families, um, our friends, church, access to God's word, the freedom that we enjoy, those things. 
He says, write a list, and then once or twice a week, spend a few minutes just giving thanks to God for those awesome things. And if you're like me, you've probably never actually fallen at Jesus' feet in thanks. As I read this, I was, I was challenged. Like metaphorically, we sort of fall in, fall in thanks before Jesus, I'm sure. Um, but reading about this leper, I thought, why not actually just try, try that? Um, so why not try that uh, this week? See what it feels like to imagine Jesus in front of you and to fall in thanks before him. And the final challenge for us this morning is to follow Jesus' example and to be thankful even when things are hard. I mean, this leper, we could say it's easy to give thanks when you've just had your life changed. That's kind of, if there's every time you're going to give thanks, it's then. What about when things are harder? Well, Jesus telling this, as we read this story, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And Luke told us he's on his way to Jerusalem to ascend into heaven. Awesome, amazing. But that journey takes him through the villages, to Jerusalem, and to the cross, where uh, he endured that pain, the utter humiliation and scorn of being nailed to a cross. Our second reading um, was the night that Jesus was betrayed, where he broke bread with his disciples and gave thanks even though he knew what that was leading to. He knew that breaking the bread was a picture of his body that was shortly going to be broken for them. He gave thanks for the wine, knowing that that was a picture of the blood that was going to be spilt, shed for them. Let's be those who are thankful to Jesus, even when we're not on a high, even when we're having to say, God, this isn't what I want, but your will be done, not mine. Our God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray this morning for the Spirit's help in seeing who the Son is and offering him our wholehearted thanks to the glory of the Father. Let me pray.